You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome to Together in Literacy Podcast, Season 3, Episode 8. Today, we're going to be talking about alternatives to double dosing in dyslexia intervention. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm here with Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, Casey. And we always love hearing from our amazing listeners from all around the world and sharing that feedback. So if you have an opportunity and you love the podcast, go ahead and leave us a review. We are always appreciative of that. This feedback is from TP2222, and it's titled True Passion for the Struggling Readers. And the feedback says, do you have a passion to teach all students to read? Listen to Emily and Casey on this informative and passionate podcast to reach all students. I have found so much information here to fuel my desire to learn more to help others. So that is such a lovely feedback to get um, and to read, and I'm so glad that you are a listener and that you're able to take little nuggets of knowledge away from our show. So thank you for tuning in. In our last episode, we discussed the use of scaffolds within decoding instruction and the importance of understanding our learners and also how working with students in different places on their journey with reading and dyslexia means that we really need to be diagnostic and prescriptive in our approach. And this includes knowing when scaffolds are needed and using them appropriately to move learning forward based on the diagnostic student performance and our teacher observations. So if you weren't able to tune into that episode, that is episode seven of season three, give that a listen. But really that that episode got Emily and I talking after the recording about some of the current conversations that we're hearing and questions that we're receiving about double dosing of curriculums or lessons as instruction for our struggling students. And so we wanted to speak about what works and doesn't work for our children through this lens of appropriate interventions. So that's why we're here today. Yeah, Casey. So we've, Casey and I have both We've been doing this for a while and we have more, I think more recently heard more recommendations of double dosing mm-hmm. for reading intervention. So in this episode, we want to share some reasons why we need to be cautious about how and the way we provide interventions. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss what a double dose of curriculum is in terms of using it for reading intervention, why this may not be the best option for our students, and we'll leave you with some tips and share how to serve students with dyslexia best, what they need. So let's get right into this. 
let's talk about what do we mean or when you hear double dosing. So what is the double dose of curriculum as used for reading intervention? And why is that problematic? So when we're talking about double dosing, that is meaning that whatever we're using for our tier one instruction whole class, we will just take that same lesson and repeat it again with our intervention students. So that is considered a double dose because the intervention students are just getting that same lesson repeated to them. Mm-hmm. So why is this so problematic for students with dyslexia? Where people are taking that tier one lesson and just repeating it in their small group intervention. So we are going to talk about that why that really is not the best use of our time with, and our students' time personally, with our intervention students. All right, Casey. So let's talk about this. Why isn't that the best use of our time? Yeah, I, I, I hear this sometimes about, you know, oh, just repeat the lesson again in small group. But if we're If we're coming back to understanding our students, some of the things that I think we need to be really cautious of when we have that proposed to us to just repeat the lesson is just kind of understanding, okay, if we have students that are not getting the information in your tier one instruction, right, then we really need to be mindful. Why? What component? What is it that they're not understanding? And then targeting that specific skill or that specific area in your tier two, not just running through that lesson again. And really a lot, I mean, the programs are not real, should not really be designed to be done exactly the same in tier one and exactly the same in tier two and exactly the same in tier three, because that is not being diagnostic and prescriptive. And that's really not honoring the journey of our students, particularly our students with dyslexia, who really need us to be knowledgeable about their specific areas of need and to have the knowledge and information and strategies to provide scaffolds in an appropriate way to help them move their learning forward. Right, Casey. And there are specific programs out there that say, This is a tier one program. It is not designed for reading intervention. And yet, unfortunately, that's being ignored. Mm -hmm. People are still using it for a double dose. But like Casey says, if we're not, we're really not looking carefully at the data that we have on these students, then that lesson that you just did whole class to just repeat it again, really is not appropriate. And the scaffolds that we use are really going to matter in the situation. Yeah. So to just move forward, what we really want to be mindful about here, and because we're talking about intervention, is the learning profile. That is unique to each learner. Okay. It's going to drive a lot of decision-making. It's going to tell you, it's going to determine the needs and areas that you need to address. And that is, once again, and we say this so much, being prescriptive and diagnostic. 
So let me ask you this question that may cause you to pause, and but we really want to ask it. If you are double dosing for your reading intervention, are you truly being diagnostic and prescriptive? And we say, quite honestly, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you were not. Right. And Casey, how come? <laughs> well, yeah. And that's because, you know, as I said, if we, if you taught your tier one instruction and then in intervention group, you just, you teach that again, or maybe even you teach it in the same way that was done in that whole group, that you're not targeting that area where your students were struggling in. So if they, you really have to be very, you have to take a lot of observation of where they're, where within that lesson, they're having that breakdown because you may need to back up a little bit in order to move them forward. You may need to solidify where some of those gaps are. So we really have to understand where our students are that and be diagnostic and prescriptive. So, because that is what should be driving our instruction, right? This is what we need to know in order to help our students meet those targeted goals. But we also have to be knowledgeable about where that breakdown is happening for our students and then determine if perhaps we need to teach it that that concept in a different way, provide some scaffolds, right? And then understand, you know, when to put those in, when to release those, and then also really thinking about how much opportunity for practice am I providing my student to transfer that knowledge. And we'll kind of get into that as we, we sort of dig here into that student learning profile, because it is not just looking at, oh, these are the areas that they need assistance in. We also have to look at their areas of strength. We need to be understanding their Maybe their processing speed, do they need more time? We need to understand their language acquisition. You know, are we using precision of language to aid in their understanding? Um, So just kind of really looking at the whole child through that lens to help us really target those specific areas of need to move learning forward. And not just run you know, through a lesson again. Right. And when Casey and I mentioned scaffolds, once again, don't forget scaffolds aren't permanent. They're, these are not things that we're saying have to be there forever. But in the uh, gradual release of responsibility, this is where our, our scaffolds are going to be really important. Like our knowledge of um, syllables and syllable division. Right. Diacritical marking. Yes, those are scaffolds that we put in place in our direct and explicit instruction, but they aren't always there. So we do want to be looking at the types of scaffolds we use because that not only is supporting our students where they're at in that moment, what they need, but also going to help them make two things. Progress, which will lead to mastery. Okay, that's the name of the game here. So some of the things we want to remember when we're looking at our students' learning profile, you know, we want to identify their academic and individual strengths, the areas of need. We can, you know, both in that formal diagnosis and informally, our observations, but also thinking about their working memory, 
that continual progress monitoring. What is that telling us as far as helping our students moving forward? And then what does that mean for our instruction? So, you know, that continuing of coming back to their learning profile so that we really understand their needs and their strengths and we're able to plan accordingly. Yes, absolutely. So some of the things that we are seeing, you know, with working memory, we might want to sp pick out specific games that mm -hmm. that will offer some additional meaningful practice that will help them if they have like poor retrieval, thinking about the decodable materials you have, like if it's the same concept, can you have multiple practice with the same passage or can you incorporate like maybe a decodable book, some sentence practice at the sentence level, right? And even the card decks with uh, words that you may practice just in a quick fluency drill. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Some of the other things we want to be a little more cautious with is remembering that the children that we work with specifically um, when we want to be mindful about is the cognitive load. And we have discussed this in previous episodes. Oh gosh, Casey, I can't seem to remember which episode we talked about it, but I believe. I know it was, I think it was episode nine, but I'll have to find the learning yeah. episode back in season two. We did talk about it. A All right, I'll have to times. double check that. But yes, we have. Okay. But so if we are using the same lesson that we did in tier one again, and say it's on a really big concept for kids, like reviewing all five short vowels, right? Then we may be taxing our dyslexic readers' cognitive load if we are just repeating that same lesson again and not being mindful of the fact that, hey, maybe there's still some sound discrimination practice that we need, maybe with just like A versus U in short vowels. Right. Or maybe they just need to focus on one vowel at that less in that lesson at that time. So mm -hmm. that is why we want to really think about the scaffolds that we need and the accommodations. So for kids that may need more specific short vowel practice in this situation, some of the scaffolds that you might be using are those diacritical markings um, right. and highlighting in multisensory instruction. Yeah, or you may may need to pull back a little bit and do some auditory discrimination between yeah. those two sounds or come back to the articulatory gestures between, you know, our mouth formation between those sounds. There's so much that we are observing from with our students that really determines our next steps. And I think that's one of the things that Emily and I talk about so often, you know, when we're thinking about that being diagnostic and prescriptive, it really involves the teacher observations. We have to be so aware of what the students are doing, where their breakdown's happening, and provide that immediate corrective feedback in a meaningful way. And we can do that through our scaffolds. We can do that through a reteaching. Um, re we can ensure that we're using precision of language with our students. There's so many components or, or avenues in which we can address that student need to help move learning forward, but it really does rely heavily on our observations and our knowledge of our students. Right. And using the gradual release of responsibility within the confines of what these students need 
is going to support their cognitive load beautifully. Yeah. And as Casey, I mean, was talking this whole time, I'm like nodding my head emphatically. You can't see that over here, but I'm like, yes, 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 and yes. So, <laughs> all right. So, so, so then you guys may be asking, right? Well, okay. So if we're not going to just reteach the lesson again or do that double dosing, then what should we be doing with our students with dyslexia or those students who are in need of intervention, right? So some of the things that we want to be mindful of is just recognizing that our tier one programs that are designed for our core classroom instruction are not sufficient enough for reading intervention students, right? So we have to remember that more of the same will not always equal um, or equate to success, right? And for many reasons, right? We may have, it may be because of pacing or precision of language. It may lack precision of language for our students. The volume of concepts taught within a single lesson may just be too much, right? We may need to break that down. And then this is what I find to be one of the big things is we are not providing enough opportunity to transfer knowledge to practice. And if we come back to our episode, now I can't remember which one it was, but we talked about the importance of repetition within our structured literacy lessons. We have to re really ask ourselves, am I providing enough opportunities for the student to be creating that neural pathway in their brain, knowing that our kids need more application of practice. That doesn't mean they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It means we're providing opportunities for them to transfer their knowledge. And so we have to think about how are we doing that in meaningful ways. And right. then our tier one programs also may not, you know, be equating to that long-term mastery orientation, right? But just kind of like going through concept, 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 concept. So coming back to understanding our learner profile, that really causes us to perhaps understand that we can't just run through tier one again, right? And call it intervention. We really do need to address the needs of our students, understand their learning needs, and then also keep all of these other things in mind, that pacing, that language use, the volume of concepts that are being taught, and then the opportunities for practice. Right. And yeah, I think I just want to speak just briefly to the whole mastery discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in the moment of double dosing that lesson, it may feel like, oh, you know, it may feel in that moment at surface level that they're having a little bit of success. And why? Because, oh, you know what? This is so recently repeated for them. But is that equating to long-term mastery? Probably not. And it's because of the unique needs of people who need reading intervention. And once again, talking about their learning profiles. Okay, so is the goal is leading them towards not only just making effective progress, but towards mastery. Yeah. Okay. And so some of the other things that we're thinking about instead of double dosing our kids is, I keep saying this, we're going to be looking at their data right? We want to keep on doing these, you know, small assessments, you know, informal, but always checking, kid watching. It's amazing the data that you can collect just by playing a simple game with kids. 
and seeing how they are, what their decoding and encoding practice is looking like, even within the confines of a game. But also, we want to be planning prescriptive and diagnostic lessons that are going to suit the needs of our students at that time in that moment. That means you should be pulling appropriate tools and resources. And that may be from a variety of places to address mm -hmm. their needs. We recognize that you may feel restricted in your choices depending on you know mandates and where you are, what district you may work for. But remembering that the art of teaching is the ability right, to understand how to break down concepts, providing meaningful scaffolds, understanding that gradual release of responsibility is critical, and meeting the needs of the students, those people in front of you. And Casey and I want to just stress, the program is not dictating the pathway of intervention, especially for those with dyslexia. It just may not. We need to be able to differentiate, scaffold, expand, and meet the students where they are. Yeah. And we're making some pretty strong statements here, but this is really, really important to us. It is. And and I think, you know, if we are remembering that, that, that this is really that never ending cycle and that in we... Yeah when we are being mindful and we're, we're doing those observations and we are using diagnostic and prescriptive approach, it really helps us close the reading gaps and push learning forward. Right. And, and those teaching choices that we're using should be driven by our knowledge of the student's learning profile and have that instruction flow from those assessments, whether they're just observational or, you know, it doesn't have to be formal assessments, but from those assessments to identifying for um, the application of our instruction really, and just having this cycle so that we are always pushing that learning forward, but in really meaningful ways, because what the teacher is going to emphasize is where the, you know, where our student, where we're giving our students that extra help and how fast that we're able to proceed with those small groups or our, our interventions is really going to help determine the results of our student outcomes. So when we are really looking super carefully at all of those things and what those learning outcomes are going to be, one more point we want to make, so important, and that is, this is a hard one for some people, maybe. We need to be mastery oriented. And that means looking at what mastery is, mm -hmm. right? And remaining steadfast. We need to be steadfast in what that student is doing in that time and how to progress them forward. And remember that, hey, progress especially with kids with dyslexia, isn't always going to be linear, right? Sometimes we find gaps <laughs> within yeah. a lesson and realize, oh, we need to go back and do some reteaching, right? And so we may have those gaps and we need to pause and go back or fill in or help with their retrieval a little more, recognizing that, hey, playing games can assist them with pushing them towards mastery a little bit more. But knowing that, we want to help them gain mastery in order for them to move forward. Yeah, I like that the, when we kind of phrase it as mastery oriented, because then yeah. I feel like that 
kind of lies within the art of teaching and the art of understanding your students so that you are a not just cruising through a curriculum because yeah. we gotta go we gotta go and sorry kiddo if you're not catching up or on the other side of it it's also not holding them oh you didn't get 100 you can't move forward be, if we have this idea that's mastery oriented and we also understand that oftentimes our students with dyslexia may be inconsistent in their performance from day to day if we are keeping kind of that mastery oriented at the front are they most of the time able to access that that understanding and to transfer that learning so that we are continuing to move forward there's kind of like a sweet spot instead of right for instance for instance, Casey and I, you know, we work with kids with letter, letter reversals, B and D. We're not going to keep them in lessons on B and D reversals forever, right. but we can thoughtfully put in short, effective, timely yeah. little activities or drills that will still incorporate B and D letter reversal or confusion at that time. So that is a fine balance. Once again, that's part of our art of being prescriptive and diagnostic. It's being careful about maybe our wordless selection or the dictation words that we give them with just incorporating more practice in that way. So there are ways to guide them towards mastery without feeling like you're stuck in that same lesson forever. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And really the more that we know about retrieval practice, right? From the neuroscience, it makes sense too, as to bring in that delayed practice or the the spatial practice for retrieval and for it. And so I think, you know, all of these things are interconnected in some form or fashion and it's our job. And that's why, you know, we do call it the art of teaching because it takes time. Emily and I have been doing this. I know we've said this previously, but we've been doing this a long time and we're continuing to refine our craft of teaching um, and learn new things and find ways to help our students move forward. And so I think it is not a stagnant profession and it's something that's, you know, we're always growing and learning and, and finding new ways to refine our practices. So, right. And we are so appreciative of the hard work that you are doing absolutely with your dyslexic learners. <laughs> we are so proud of you every day because we know this is not an easy job and that, yeah, you need to be told, keep going, keep showing up, Keep giving it your all because it matters and it's truly life-saving. Intervention requires a lot, a lot of different puzzle pieces here. And that is why keeping the unique needs of your learners in front of us as the forefront Mm -hmm. of the program at the center is the key. And let's always remember the people who are sitting in front of us who are relying and trusting that we are going to get them on the pathway to success. Yes. Here, here. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up and we, uh, we have some, Casey and I have been brainstorming some really interesting topics. If you guys yeah. are you know, interested in sticking around, which I hope <laughs> you are. And so we were making our little lists and chatting. And, and so we're excited for that. We've got a few more guests coming up for season three too. So that'll be good. We just want to remind you that every time we publish an episode that we also provide a blog post that has all the wonderful talking points, sometimes even a little freebie links that you may want to check out, things like that. That can all be found on togetherinliteracy.com. So we would love for you to go there. 
We'd also still so appreciate any reviews you want to leave us so we can just, you know, uh, read them to our audience. And then, you know, you get a little, uh, you get to be showcased in that way, which is fun. <laughs> we so appreciate your support of the podcast, but we also appreciate the fact that we are both small business owners and we love what we do. We love working with these kids. Truly. This is like yeah. the best job. We also love creating resources to help you. So in order to keep in touch with us, we both have our own websites and Casey's going to talk about hers and then mine. All right. Yeah. You can find me at the dyslexiaclassroom.com. I have resources available. There's even some free videos and courses and things like that. So check it out if you like. All right. And you can find me at theliteracynest.com. There's different memberships, resources, videos as well. You mean, if you just had Casey's website and my website just bookmarked, you could just fall down a little rabbit hole <laughs> and, you know, just grab some coffee and just hang out there. And we'd love that. <laughs> we would. We would. All right. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.